Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden, and also welcome to the second week of November. We are quickly approaching another season, a new season in the garden, a new season for this year. Of course, we're getting closer and closer to fall, and there's still a lot of things to be doing and things that can be done in your landscape and in your gardens. We've been talking about a few things over the past few weeks, of course, we talked a few weeks ago about starting fall vegetables, and it's really still not too late. Uh, you can still get out some of those brassicas, the, the broccolis, the cabbage, the kales. Just be sure that you're looking at the days to maturity. Some of these things will actually carry over into the uh, you know next part of the year. Uh, you may not be harvesting them for several months. Uh, so you know, be sure that you're creating a space for your vegetables uh, that gives them a nice home for an extended stay. For an extended stay. Because, of course, uh, these are plants that we grow in the fall that like the cooler weather. They don't like the heat and the stress that comes with summer. Uh, and, but, with that being said, because they're growing over fall, the temperatures are cooler. The ground stays quite warm, but it does slowly start to cool off, as just like the air temperature. Uh, and the less heat we have, the less quickly things will grow. So we've got to make sure that we get that jump start. We, it's really hard to grow vegetables if you're planting or transplanting them in the dead of winter. You know, an established plant might be able to handle some of the milder days of winter. But of course, be sure that you're uh, well-versed on what can handle frost. Uh, you may need to give a little frost protection, maybe by creating a floating row cover, as we call it, where you would give some some kind of support for a, a plastics or a plastic sheet uh, or maybe a frost cloth, uh, which is more of a kind of spun, woven fiber, if you will. And it just helps to trap heat around the plant. Uh, particularly, you'll be pulling these row covers over the plants on very cold days and, of course, over cold nights so that we're trapping ground heat. And if you pull these row covers, floating row covers, over your vegetables, uh, during the later part of the afternoon, you'll be increasing the ground temperature a bit and trapping even more heat. So uh, be sure to time it right. You know, when you're getting home from work, you may be pulling these over the row cover, pulling the row cover over your plants. Uh, but we're not there yet, of course. We're not there yet. We're still nice and warm. But we have so much to look forward to as far as this next season is concerned. We've got a lot of things that uh, are going to be changing Things are going to be shifting in a lot of ways, and we need to be on the lookout for those things. If you missed last week's program, uh, be sure to go to NewSouthernGarden.com because we have um, last week's show posted there for you to listen whenever and wherever or on your favorite podcasting apps because last week we talked about increasing your home value by landscaping. And be sure to give that a, a bit of a listen uh, because I, I give you some easy things that can be done 
such as just spreading fresh mulch, you know. Uh, but then maybe some more complex things, some construction projects that uh, you might be kind of adventurous to take on yourself or maybe hire someone who can do some of that uh, for you. But um, regardless, it's not just uh, a season for growing uh, vegetables and edible things. It's also a season for growing ornamental things. Remember, in the garden or in horticulture, we deal with two types of plants, essentially. We deal with plants that either feed the body, vegetables, fruits, things like that, or we deal with plants that feed the soul. And of course, that is all the ornamental things, all of the wonderful ornamental plants that you love, the flowers we talk about uh, season after season, the, the things with uh, great fall color. We're going to be anticipating some of that. I know we've done several shows in the past on fall color, and you can find those on NewSouthernGarden.com online. Uh, of course, we may not delve too deeply into fall color so much like we have in the past this year, uh, but today we have another interesting ornamental characteristic that plants can give you that we're going to be talking about. Today's show is about plants with a bark. Plants that bark. Plants with a bark. Of course, I don't mean they're actually uh, yipping or yapping at you like a dog might. Uh, but it kind of goes with that old saying, you'll know a dogwood by its bark, right? <laughs> we won't necessarily talk about dogwood, but you do know a dogwood by its bark because it has quite distinctive, blocky, chunky squares up and down its uh, stem and trunk that really can tell you this is a dogwood tree. If you can't tell from the leaf, or if it's not in flower, you surely could tell a dogwood when it's in flower, but you can know a dogwood by its bark. And today we are talking about plants that are very much like that. You will know them by their bark because their bark gives you some kind of wonderful ornamental value in the landscape that is unique and uh, quite interesting. And I want to talk about this uh, topic as we go into fall because it's really in fall and winter that we get to appreciate the bark or the structure of plants. We've talked about the structure, the way plants branch and the shape of their canopies, the shape of their branches, how they're um, um, uh, emanating from the main trunk. We don't get to see that in the summer, do we? We don't get to see it in the summer, particularly because, of course, there's leaves on the trees. And we don't always pay attention to the bark until there are no leaves to look at or flowers to look at. And so today we are talking about plants with a bark, plants that have some kind of interesting factor uh, when it comes to their bark and their stem. Now, some of these, fact, uh, some of these characteristics could be uh, referred to as a term we use exfoliating bark, where pieces of the bark starts to shred and peel off much like paper or kind of uncurl, and some of the exfoliating barks uh, leave sort of a blocky squares here and there along the, uh, along the main trunk and stem, uh, and different colors and shades amongst all these peeling barks. And then, of course, another aspect of some of these plants we'll talk about is colorful bark. There are plenty of plants that, particularly over fall and winter, as a cool, cool temperatures come in, 
that their bark starts to transform into bright, vivid colors. You may know of some of these. You may have some of them growing, and you may love them. If you've never really stepped back and, you know, looked at a plant in its naked form with no leaves, uh, no flowers, you really can appreciate some of these other characteristics that they bring to the table. Today we'll be talking about a few native plants and plants that aren't from here but still can grow here very well. Uh, and some, some may take a little bit uh, more unique situation, but we'll talk about what it takes to grow some of these plants as well and what kind of conditions they need in order to perform well and, of course, perform well so that you can enjoy and really take in that glorious bark. I mean, over winter, we know what it's like. It's a winterscape. There's no really leaves on trees. Uh, there are those evergreen plants, gardenias, hollies of all kinds, uh, the conifers like the arborvitaes we love here in the south, junipers. There, there are some wonderful characteristics that we've talked about before that we need over winter. But I do want us to take in and appreciate the fact that even though some plants drop their leaves and are just naked stems and and looks like dead twigs, right? Even though they look like dead twigs, these twigs are quite alive, and some of these plants can give you some beautiful colors on those naked stems, and of course, some beautiful peeling of bark. And it's a natural thing. Um, there are many times when people purchase a plant or have a plant in their garden that they don't know very well, and they see these, um, this bark peeling off. And they get concerned. They'll call us up at the nursery and say, what is going on? Is this tree dying? No, that's actually very normal for it. That plant just goes through a process of shedding its outer bark. And if it, you know, you've got to clean up a little bit maybe, but uh, if you can really stand back and appreciate that, it's just another unique thing that you can have in your landscape that maybe your next door neighbors don't have. Well, without any more further, ado, without further ado, or with any more delay, let's just jump in with some of these plants that have a wonderful bark. The first plant is a native plant that I like to talk about. It is the oak leaf hydrangea. Now, we've talked about oak leaf hydrangea in the past, and I probably mentioned uh, the fact that it has this wonderful peeling, exfoliating bark. But the main reason, of course, we usually talk about oak leaf hydrangea is its flowers. And of course, it's one of the earliest hydrangeas to bloom, uh, which, because it blooms so early in the spring, you don't want to prune that plant until after it blooms. So you don't want to do any spring pruning or late winter or even fall pruning on your oak leaf hydrangea. You want to prune that plant as soon as it gets done blooming so that you can um, allow the plant to generate more stems that are going to set flowering buds for next year. If you prune your oak leaf hydrangeas too late or too early in a sense, right, late winter, the early part of spring, if you prune it at the wrong time of year, then you will be removing most of the blooming stems uh, and the blooming buds, and you won't have flowers. But they are huge flowers, of course. The oak leaf hydrangea has these long panicles, kind of a cone shape of flowers. Now, there are many varieties that have a lace cap-like blossom. So a uh, lace cap, uh, I like to describe it as a uh, hydrangea bloom with those big, large bracts of flowers, uh, but a lot of gaps between the flowers, so it looks lacy. There are um, uh, flower little flowers in between the big flowers, if you will, what you're seeing, that are um, um, not going to produce those large white uh, bracts, uh, 
petals, if you will. Uh, but that is a nice look. It's real dainty. It's real lacy. And then there are some that are just chock full touching each other of these petals, flower petals touching each other that make a big mop. So just like other hydrangeas, there are those two main flower forms, either the lace cap or eh, maybe we call it a mop form where it's just full of petals. And I think having both of those works really well. Probably the lace caps, um, they do work well, even though they both work well in shade. They can grow in shade or sun. I just like having that lacy look in the woods. It kind of looks a little bit more natural, if you will. But they can grow sun or shade. If they're in the sun, uh, probably try to give them some afternoon shade from the, the heat of the uh, summer, uh, particularly in the summer sun. And because it's hydrangea, they do like moist soil, uh, but well-drained. We don't want our hydrangeas standing in water, even though they can handle periods of wet. We do want to make sure they're well-drained. And of course, if these hydrangeas are in the sun, you might have to supplement watering them over the summer in particular. They really don't need any watering in the winter. They drop their leaves. But before they drop their leaves... Their leaves turn a wonderful fall color, wonderful reds, burgundies, orange even. It's, it's a very dark, dark shade of fall color, though, almost blood sanguine, like <laughs> blood red color. Uh, but once those leaves have fall, fell, fallen, this is what happens, and this is what we're talking about today. You will see uh, sort of like a cinnamon it looks like a cinnamon bark, just peeling curls, peeling curls of sort of a gray-brown uh, tan color uh, that really start to uh, stand out along the bark. Now, again, this is not something that, you know, people are probably going to ooh and uh, awe about too much. But if you had a grouping of these oak leaf hydrangeas and they were planted somewhere um, in mass, where you can see them, then over winter, even though there's no leaves, no flowers on this plant, those peeling curls of a kind of a cinnamon, cinnamony, rusty color are really going to stand out. And it could be a topic, it could be a, 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 an interesting uh, conversation plant. It could be a conversation plant because, of course, even though the plant is leafless, uh, having that color alone on the bark is wonderful. And then having the peeling, curly, paper-like uh, exfoliations of the bark is really outstanding. I would partner, I would partner oak leaf hydrangea with some good evergreens. Of course, I, I love gardenias and hydrangeas together because nothing says southern garden more than gardenias and hydrangeas really, uh, but you could do very well to put these oak leaf hydrangeas with a conifer, uh, something that's real shaggy like, maybe something like uh, a gold mop false cypress, which is a bright gold color. So as we go into the winter, you've got this peeling bark cinnamon color right up against a very bright gold color uh, with the gold mop false cypress. Wonderful plants. Well, when we get back from this break, gang, we've got even more plants that have a bark <laughs> and are going to be outstanding in the fall and winter garden. So hang on tight. We'll be back with more. Hey. 
Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are getting a little barky. We're talking about bark. Now, I know that that doesn't sound too uh, maybe appealing at first, but uh, bark is a wonderful feature of plants. Some plants have more unique bark than others, and those are the plants we're going to talk about today. For one reason or another, particularly because a plant has exfoliating bark, which is where the the outer edges of the 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 trunk start peeling off the outer layers of bark start peeling off and start revealing kind of this papery look or maybe splotches and splashes of color underneath Uh, and then of course there's other reasons Uh, another reason we may be using plants because of its bark is because it gets quite colorful it has some colorful stems and our next plant today is a plant that has a very colorful stem Uh, this is a plant we call red twig dogwood red twig dogwood now you may not uh, really think of a dog when we hear the word. Let me back up. When you hear the word dogwood, you think of those plants with those huge uh, bracts. Again, they're not really petals, but those huge showy bracts of white, sometimes pink and red. We have some wonderful cultivars of our native dogwood and hybrids that have a rich color too. And you get those usually in the spring. The Coosa dogwood blooms in the summer. Uh, But the red twig dogwood is a dogwood that actually has a flower, but very small flowers clustered together. So they particularly are more of a, oh, maybe late spring, early summer bloomer. And uh, that in its own right is quite attractive. And of course, we've got a nice green leaf. Looks very much like a dogwood leaf. Uh, down underneath the flowers that sit right on top of the stems. Uh, And then they stop blooming and they're just a green shrub. Until after fall and the leaves start falling off of this red twig dogwood. And then as the temperatures get cooler, as we go into fall, go into winter, the green stems start to turn a fiery red, fiery red. And unlike a dogwood tree, a dogwood, uh, red twig dogwood is grown like a shrub. So you have multiple stems coming off of the rootstock, and it is like, when, when those stems are nice and red, it is like it's a, a burning bush. It's a bush on fire without leaves, because all the stems are a super bright red. Super attractive. There are many different variations of red twig dogwood. Uh, it's sort of a catch-all term because there's several different species of these red twig dogwoods. Some are native, some are not native here, but have made a really good presence in the South, can grow well in the South. 
And um, there's also some cultivars that instead of a fiery red, they're more of a yellow, a bright, vivid yellow. I think that one, it just came to my mind, but I think it's called like Flavorama. That's one that I've seen that's a beautiful, beautiful yellow instead of red. And having those two together around the property somewhere, it's not a bad idea. Now, the red twig dogwood can handle a lot of moisture. It doesn't mean that it needs a lot of moisture, but if you happen to have a water feature where moisture is ample and and maybe the the soil is quite boggy or soggy, uh, maybe along the edge of a pond or something, that is an appropriate place for red twig dogwood. But in normal average garden soil, it's just fine. Uh, Having maybe a little extra moisture in the summer is beneficial and appreciated by the red twig uh, because periods of drought can make the leaves wilt. Um, The plant may drop its leaves if it gets too dry, but it's surely not going to die. You're just losing the beautiful foliage during that dry spell. Uh, It'll be right back in full leaf probably next year. But um, as far as soil goes, clay soil is fine. Uh, Definitely an earthy, loamy soil is fine as well. And sun, uh, you can grow the red twig dogwoods in sun or uh, fairly shady sites. Part shade would probably be as deep into the shade as I would take it. Even though it would grow in the shade, you're not going to have the kind of growth that you would in a more sunny site. And also with the red twig dogwoods, (laughs) if they don't get a lot of sun over summer, and then again, maybe particularly as fall is coming on, uh, you won't have that vivid red color. You won't have that vivid color come through on the stems. Now, one of the important things to keep in mind with red twig dogwood is they are a shrub. Uh, They might be trained as a small tree, but it's best to keep them as a shrub that you cut back every so often, maybe every other year or every third year, particularly because the older the wood gets, the older the stem gets, it starts to turn gray, uh, much like any other tree would, just an average gray bark. And once you're in that gray phase with a certain stem, it's not going to turn bright red in the winter. It'll just be gray. So really, the new growth The newer growth is what produces these bright red stems over fall and winter. So we've got to do a bit of cutting back with the red twig dogwood. If it doesn't get any cutting back, of course you lose the color except on the tips. The tips where the new growth is will turn red. But if you want it right there in your face, you've got to trim it back and also to maintain its size because they are large shrubs being several feet uh, maybe even above a person if they're allowed to. Uh, That's why I would treat this as a cutback shrub, a shrub kind of like um, some of the hydrangeas, maybe like a panicle hydrangea. I like to cut those back because they can be quite large. And of course, they bloom on their new wood, so it's okay to do that in the spring. You can just trim back your red twig dogwoods as well um, um, to keep them in check, to keep their size, but also keep the freshness. Keep the freshness of those stems because the older the stem gets, of course, the less uh, red color you will have. Otherwise, it's a pretty maintenance-free plant, just trimming every other or every third year, and you will have a beautiful show over fall, fall and winter. Now, I can't go through a show about bark 
without talking about crepe myrtles, because crepe myrtles are kind of the standard, the most well-known, maybe exfoliating bark plant that uh, we grow in our gardens. And the exfoliating bark on a crepe myrtle can vary from plant to plant, variety to variety. For instance, the the Natchez crepe myrtle, which has huge white blooms over summer, uh, it has a very cinnamon-colored bark as it peels. As the gray layers peel off underneath, you get this nice cinnamon color. Uh, There are variations of that. Cinnamon is pretty standard uh, to some degree, but you may have different shades of grays, different shades of sort of brown tans uh, in the crepe myrtle world. And unfortunately, if you're buying a young crepe myrtle, even if it's maybe six feet tall, you don't get a lot of that exfoliating pattern just yet. The larger the plant, the older the plant, the more you will find that exfoliating pattern. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a very old crepe myrtle at the nursery. It was probably planted maybe over 40 years ago because the house has been there since the 40s. And knowing the lady who lived there last, uh, she was in her 90s in the 90s and so or 80s in the 90s. So she probably had planted that decades before. But regardless, um, that plant has just shed a ton of bark. I'm not worried about it because that's what these plants do. But it seems like, and I have seen this with a few crepe myrtles, maybe the older they get, the bigger they are, the bigger the trunks, the bigger the stems, the more they shed. And and maybe every few years they happen to shed a lot of bark. Uh, so it's sort of shed its entire outer cover. And I'm thinking next year we'll start to get little peels Uh, little peels and little exfoliations that really stand out and show through. But you do with the crepe myrtles have a great exfoliation pattern, lots of grays, some of the cinnamon colors, tans and browns, and they sort of model and mix together. And then even some of the shapes of these exfoliations might look different. Sometimes they're blocky or kind of rounded, tubular looking, you know, kind of cylindrical. There's a lot of different patterns. So be sure that when you're looking for a crepe myrtle, you're not just looking for bloom or blossom, but maybe be sure that you're also looking for something that is going to look really interesting over the over the fall and winter. Look for that bark. Look for that exfoliation. You may have to do a little research before you buy a crepe myrtle because, of course, the younger the plant, you won't really know what the exfoliation looks like on that bark. But I've got to mention crepe myrtle because it's a classic for the South not just for its blooms, but also for its bark. So when we get back from this break, we've got some more trees and shrubs we're going to talk about to uh, get something looking cool and interesting in the garden over winter. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and there is something to bark about in the studio today because we are talking about plants with a bark. 
Of course, I don't mean that they're going to be yipping and yapping at you. As I said earlier, they are plants that have some very unique characteristic just in their bark alone. Despite how beautiful the leaves may be in the summer or despite if they flower or not, uh, or have showy flowers or inconspicuous flowers, these are plants that are going to give you something unique and different and interesting to look at over the cooler months <laughs> because that is one thing we struggle with isn't it sometimes we feel like the winter garden is oh, nearly dead feeling you know just a dead scape we have our evergreen shrubs to help us we have our evergreen foliage we have some flowering plants like hellebores that bloom in late winter uh, but you know what else can we incorporate into our fall and winter gardens uh, once the leaves have fallen, once the fall color is passed, what is there to look at? Well, I say let's look at the bark. Let's look at barks on trees and certain shrubs. We've talked about the oak leaf hydrangea with its exfoliating, peeling, curly-like, cinnamon-like bark. And then, of course, we talked about the red twig dogwood, which has very vibrant, vivid red twigs. Great name, right? Great name for the plant. Describes it wonderfully. Has red twigs over winter. And there are some color variations on those from variety to variety. Some are kind of yellow and some are maybe uh, more of a, of a uh, coral color. So with all that being said, um, let's talk about another tree. We talked about crepe myrtle just a minute ago. Uh, and crepe myrtle, everybody knows. Everybody, I don't know if everybody loves them, but uh, they do produce wonderful flowers in the summer and have great exfoliating bark over fall and winter. But there's another tree that is little well-known and does fairly well in the south, um, particularly maybe in a cooler area, uh, maybe a little bit of shade, particularly in the afternoon. Uh, this is the paper bark maple or Acer grissium, paper bark maple. Now, I was introduced to this plant when I was studying horticulture at the University of Georgia, had never heard of it, and haven't seen much of it since because it's not well known and it might be a little more, uh, more difficult to, it's definitely more difficult to cultivate than other maples. You can plant a red maple, which doesn't have much in the way of bark, just a nice gray color. But um, of course, uh, there are, you know, sugar maple, which is uh, somewhat easy in the south, not, not super easy because it gets so hot. But the paper bark maple does, kind of like sugar maple, would like a little bit of a cooler situation, but with maybe some supplemental water uh, and a break from the sun in the um, summer, you can have a great paper bark maple in your landscape. Now, they have little tiny leaves um, compared to other maples, not big and broad, even smaller than Japanese maples. Uh, they're maybe just up to a couple of inches long, but they sort of are uh, lengthy uh, leaves with little nodes at the end. So real refined. It's a real refined leaf, real soft leaf. Uh, we, I did grow a paper bark maple at my parents' house when I was growing up, uh, when I was still in college, and um, uh, it performed well under some shade from the pine trees that we had there at the house. Now, the... the Paper bark maple does produce a flower, but just like other maples, real inconspicuous. There would be seeds that fall, of course, like the little helicopters uh, that fly in the air. There would be that later on in the summer, uh, but no real big showy flower like a crepe myrtle, but just a refined dark green leaf. Then the bark is a smooth, uh, <laughs> is a smooth bark, 
until you get to the peels, until you get to the exfoliation. And the, uh, the bark just curls outwards like paper. It's a good name for this maple because it definitely has a papery-like bark. But it's mixed in with areas of very smooth bark. And the bark and stem is pretty much a dark brown cinnamon color throughout the year. So unlike, say, the grays that a lot of crepe myrtles give or grays that oaks and uh, oaks and maples give this paper bark maple gives you a dark color stem all year and of course those exfoliating peeling effect that the uh, bark gives that that's wonderful just papery it is like somebody took a shredder uh, and just curled the bark outwards now back to how to grow this paper bark maple I will um, mention that if we can give it, if we have an area in our landscape that's a little cooler, maybe the eastern side of the house or northern side of the house, uh, maybe under trees, maybe under trees. But I would encourage you to find a spot when it comes to paper bark maple. I don't put a lot of thought all the time with the lighting with the sun. I, I don't always think of are these plants going to look great in the morning sun? Are they going to look better in the uh, evening sun? But the, when it comes to paper bark maple, we do want to think about lighting because if you are able to put this in a site that gets afternoon shade but is able to have the sun setting behind it, as the sun is setting, those papery exfoliations, that papery bark that's peeling off will just glow like fire. It really is. It's not nearly... It's not transparent, obviously, but it's sort of translucent in the way that the light catches it. And you have this very warm red light coming off of the branches and the trunk of the paper bark maple. It's really outstanding. As a matter of fact, when I was at the University of Georgia, the only paper bark we studied or looked at is at the uh, botanical gardens, the state botanical gardens in Athens. And it's now, well, there's a children's garden down in that area now but before it was uh, I think just a lawn and there was the wisteria arbor uh, but it is positioned this paper bark maple is positioned on the edge of a wood line with big oaks and you know mature forest but there's enough light coming through the canopy that you know five six seven o'clock at night that light is just glowing is just glowing against the papery bark of this paper bark maple. It's really outstanding. You know, I probably personally should put a little more effort and thought <laughs> into uh, placement of plants based on morning light, afternoon light, and seeing how plants look best with the lighting throughout the day. It's something we don't really talk about much on this program, but there are certain plants that are no-brainers for getting that afternoon light just right. As a matter of fact, at uh, our house, I've got a perfect little spot in, in a clearing between trees where, you know, it could get morning sun, the afternoon shade, but the sun sets right behind this little clearing and would probably cast a wonderful light off of that paper bark maple. Um, you don't find them very often, and when you do, the paper bark maple tends to be a higher priced item. Um, I don't know if it's because uh, well, there's some difficulties in propagating it. I do know that. So it's not easy to propagate. If you wanted to propagate it on your own, you'd have to wait for it to produce seeds, which could be a decade or maybe up to two decades of time from a young plant to a mature plant that is producing seeds. So it was a little bit of production factor, but also maybe just because it's so unique and so different. 
not in high demand either, so not many people are growing it, but we have uh, started growing it at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. We've got some young plants. They're maybe four foot tall, but they're just little whips, little uh, twigs. They look like tall twigs right now, branched well at the top though, and uh, they need a, you know, a little bit of time to really do what they're going to do. They're not a super fast growing maple. Uh, we've gotten some good growth off of them though in their juvenile stage, uh, but that's probably another reason why their ticket is a little higher priced is just because uh, they take a little longer to grow. But placing this plant well is going to be critical. Sure, it could go in full sun. It can handle six to eight hours or more a day. I would just personally like to give it a break in the afternoon, but it makes a fine understory tree just like a Japanese maple would. Uh, but you get that wonderful peeling bark, uh, just rolls and rolls of papery bark falling off of this plant really attractive especially with that afternoon lighting now that of course is not a native plant but there is a native plant that has a wonderful bark that uh, is is maybe well known by name but i don't know of many people who are actually producing them growing them in their garden and that is the sycamore now there is the american sycamore uh, there is an oriental sycamore there are uh, sycamores not just from our part of the world here uh, and there are now hybrids between these two sycamores in particular and it's produced a fine plant that we'll talk about uh, in a minute but the sycamore is a big tree it is rivals oaks so it doesn't fit into every landscape i understand but as a young tree they are quite uh quite tight um, they're using sycamore more and more along streets and roads so it's making a nice park tree or street tree as well uh, and of course the sycamore can grow near water nearly in water they can handle a lot of moisture if you have an area that you don't know what to do with because it's too wet you can plant a sycamore, but they don't necessarily need. Sycamore does not necessarily need to have a lot of water, but I will mention that if it gets too dry in the summer, which it usually does, then the sycamore will start to um, drop its leaves kind of early. They would have decent fall color, a nice yellow fall color, um, unless it gets too dry too late in the year and of course they start to uh, drop their leaves early uh, kind of like tulip poplars do they tend to be the first ones to drop their leaves particularly in a dry year which is becoming every year now isn't it especially late summer but the sycamore bark let's talk about the bark the bark on many sycamores reminds me of camouflage in a way because you have these real uh, kind of mottled colors along the bark. There's shades of green, shades of gray, shades of white, nice whites on the sycamore bark. And when the bark starts peeling and flaking off, that's when you get these different attractions uh, along the stem. And it's nearly, um, many times you get a lot of white. So it's very bright, very vivid in the wintertime in particular. Um, now again, because they're so big, you may want to look into some sycamores that are smaller and one of those has really uh, come to the market as far as horticulture goes has come to the market and it's done very well and it is called the exclamation sycamore 
exclamation sycamore. It's probably about half the size of a sycamore, uh, or I should say of a mature sycamore. So we're still getting into the 30, 40 foot range, which is quite tall. Uh, but it is more narrow, and exclamation comes from that fact that it looks like an, more of an exclamation mark. It's not particularly uh, a fastidious tree or just a tree that is like a pencil. Uh, it does have a broad base to it. Uh, the canopy usually is broader at the bottom and narrow at the top, so quite pyramidal, but it's narrower than most sycamores, smaller in all respects, but still still large, still 40 feet. That's, 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 that's pretty, uh, pretty consuming. But the the uh, exclamation sycamore is a hybrid between our native American sycamore and the oriental sycamore. Now, that has given it some good resistance to certain things like uh, cracking. Uh, a lot of times we get that frost cracking on certain trees, and sycamore is susceptible to that. Uh, but it also helps with certain disease resistance that sycamores can have issues with. So if you're looking for maybe a superior sycamore for the landscape, it's not completely native sycamore. It does have uh, a parent from the oriental sycamore, but still it's a smaller tree, uh, and they're using it around, like I said, parks and even street trees. It's becoming a nice street tree, really. They have huge leaves. Huge leaves could be uh, definitely half a foot across, but maybe eight inches across, and I've seen even bigger on some plants. So with that in mind, give the sycamore a try. I like the sycamore personally, and I think the fact that it has that, I call it camouflage bark, if you want to pull up a picture uh, during this break, look at this camouflage bark of the American sycamore, and I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. It's one of my favorites. So hang on tight. We've got a few more plants that come with a bark, and we'll talk about them as soon as we get back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, you know it's long been said that you will know a dogwood by its bark. Not its bite, but its bark. And that is what we're talking about today on the program. It's something I, when I was preparing for the show, I was thinking we haven't really talked about bark very much. If we've talked about a plant that has a unique characteristic in its bark, then I've mentioned that. But I thought we'd dedicate today's program to talking about plants that come with a bark, some kind of nice uh, feature. Usually this is exfoliating bark, which again, if you're just joining us, exfoliating bark is where the outer edges of the bark starts to peel and flake off the plant in some unique way. Some curl uh, like paper, maybe rolls up like, like crepe paper. Isn't that what you know? Ribbons, like ribbons. <laughs> you know, we used to use uh, uh, scissors, uh, the, the one side of a scissor and 
uh, pull back on the ribbon and curl it. And that's kind of what you get with some. And others come off very stringy-like uh, or in large blocks. And then, of course, there are some plants that have very vivid, colorful bark, particularly over the winter season. We talked about the red twig dogwood. And a plant that's very similar to the red twig dogwood is the coral bark maple. Now, coral bark maple is a variety of Japanese maple. And the Japanese maple, of course, is a wonderful plant. You and I probably have some uh, in our gardens. Of course, there are different forms, different leaf types. Uh, but the coral bark maple is an upright form. So it does form a small canopy. It's not as big as maybe Bloodgood or some of the other large Japanese maples. But it does have a full form canopy and can be trained that way. Or if you want more stem so you get that vivid bark color, you could surely... Uh, keep it cut down and more bush-like, kind of like the red twig dogwood. But the um, uh, coral bark Japanese maple is going to give you a canopy if you don't do that. Of course, Japanese maples can grow in fairly moist soil uh, and fairly dry soil, but uh, they do benefit in the heat of summer in the sun if they're growing in the sun from supplemental water. Uh, keeping them moist is, is a nice thing to do for your Japanese maples. Now, most folks are looking for Japanese maples that have a red leaf. Those are highly prized and for good reason. They're very beautiful. But this maple, of course, we're going to grow it, as the name suggests, coral bark maple. We're going to grow it because of its rich colorful bark over the cool months. Now, the coral bark maple will have a great fall color like any other bark, uh, any other Japanese maple. Of course, different shades of oranges, yellows, and reds come on Japanese maples, and this one falls in that category. Nice kind of orangey, yellowy color, maybe, uh, maybe even a nice red. It kind of depends on the year, I have found, uh, and how much rain we have, how much sunlight it gets. There's a lot of factors that can affect the color of your fall color. But once the leaves have fallen and it starts to get cool, those younger stems not near the base where the trunk is oldest, but the areas that were green in the summer are going to become a nice shade of red. Uh, maybe coral. I mean, that's the name they give it, but uh, I think it probably more refers to the fact that it looks like coral growing under the ocean, you know, very colorful and upright stems. Kind of gives you that effect in the garden. Really attractive. But I like the coral bark maple not just over winter, but I really like it in the early part of spring when the leaves are coming out. Because see, as we get into the early part of spring, those red stems are still very much vibrant. But the new leaves that come out, the new leaves that come out are very lime green, nearly yellow uh, while they're immature. And so you get this wonderful contrast. You get this wonderful contrast between the red stem and the green leaf and uh, or I should say limey green leaf. And it really looks good in that early part of spring. I'm not saying that doesn't look good any other time of the year. It looks good all the time. And of course, it can provide light shade for plants underneath it. If you have other plants that you are looking for um, that might need a little bit of shade, but uh, don't necessarily uh, need full shade. Just gives you some light shade. Now, of course, the Japanese maples can grow in sun to shade, but 
If you want that vivid red color, the more sun this coral bark maple gets, the better off you will be to have that wonderful corally effect in the, win- in, in, in the winter. And again, the same goes with this maple, just like with the red twig dogwood. The older the stem gets, the less colorful it will be. So you may want to consider this a a tree that you'll do some ample pruning on from time to time to freshen up the old stems, out with the old, grow on the new, so you have that vivid red color. Now, one last tree that I want to talk about is the lacebark elm. Lacebark elm. It's been around a long time. Uh, There's some concern that, uh, you know, it maybe becoming invasive. So keep this in mind. Uh, They do produce seeds that are quite viable and you'll find little seedlings popping up here and there. They used it as a, have used it as a street tree for many decades now. And you'll find some very mature uh, lace bark elms uh, in parks and city parks and along uh, streets and, and roads and downtown areas usually. So be on the lookout for this lace bark elm. Just maybe do your research before you jump into planting them. Uh, I'll even say some of our native elms, some of our native elms, which aren't invasive because, of course, they're native here, but they they do like to reseed. We have some elms on our property, and I find their babies all over the place. So it's just something elms do. So it may be a bit of a maintenance thing, but this is a very cool pattern on its bark. The lace bark elm has a great pattern, has great color. Uh, the outer layers of the bark are um, gray, but as the gray, or sort of gray-brown, but as those start peeling back, you're left with these blocks of a cinnamon red. So very different. I mean, we're, I've used the word cinnamon a lot for crepe myrtles and for the uh, paper bark uh, maple, but this lace bark elm does have that cinnamony color, uh, but you sort of have this nice contrast with the gray brown. They're quite large and upright, um, even though they don't get maybe the size of an oak, they may be the size of a maple in its life. Uh, so if you used it in your landscape for 20 years, you're not going to get the full effect of this tree, but if it's an older tree and allowed to grow for decades and decades, it can become quite a large tree. But another reason it's a good tree for landscapes and also particularly streets and roads is because the branches are upright. The branches are upright, they're, they're angled at a high angle, so you can pass underneath them without getting whacked in the head with a heavy branch. So they're not a very broad plant. They do have kind of that V-shape upright into the air, if you will, and that's another good attraction for it. Uh, It has very small leaves, so it's quite uh, refined. The leaves are refined, not big and chunky like a sycamore. Uh, So fine textured leaves, which can work very well with other large textured, large leaf plants, if you will. Um, And then, of course, as far as what they need, uh, they can grow just about any They don't have any problem, any seeming problem growing here. They really like it here in the southeast. And uh, if you put them in well-draining soil, maybe not completely wet, but, uh, you know, well-draining, if it gets wet from time to time, I'm sure that elm will just barrel right through. But it is hard to beat the bark. The bark on the lace bark elm is very attractive with those big blocks of cinnamon contrasting right with the gray-brown of the older of the older bark. So gang, today I hope that uh, I've sort of exposed you to something new and different, something that you might 
be looking forward to this fall and winter as we go into the season where there's no leaves, where there's no uh, f- very few flowers. Give growing bark a go. Give, it a go. <laughs> Give trees with bark a go this winter for WRWH 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden. I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I hope you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.